0: You know, in football and in many other sports, great preparation is taken before meeting their their opponents. Um, You know, hours are spent going over game films and and going over scouting reports. Um, What they want to do is they're they're trying to to learn their their tendencies and, and the other team's orientation. They look for weaknesses and and try to learn their, their strengths so they can come up with a better strategy in order to beat their team. Well, I don't know if you know this, but Satan has a film on you as he does on me. And he knows our weak spots. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows our limitations. He knows what we would respond to. He even knows what our likes are. And because he's so good at what he does, because he's been doing it for centuries, he's able to, He can, let me put it like this, he can become anything at any time for anyone based on his knowledge of us. Are, are you hearing me? I want you to go to St. Corinthians chapter 11. Because if He knows us, then I think it's important that we know Him. Amen? Yes. If He's going to take the time to study films of us, and we need to take the time to look into the Word of God and find out more about Him. And find out what His tendencies are. Find out what His orientation is, so that we can be able to defeat Him. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, in the Amplified Version, Paul says this, And it is no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades or disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, previously to this particular verse, Paul was concerned about uh, uh, false apostles and false preachers that had gone into the church. And they were going around uh, teaching these bad doctrines. And these these were apostles who were disguised as servants of God. But in reality, they were servants of Satan because they were coming in here instead of bringing glory to God. They were bringing glory to themselves by telling them about their own personal achievements. Instead of preaching in response to God's call, they were preaching for money. And instead of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were preaching a different kind of gospel, uh, 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 an ungodly I mean, I'm trying to find the, the right words, but it was definitely not the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but definitely a wrong, false gospel. And so Paul wasn't surprised that these so-called apostles were disguised themselves as preachers of God because he understands that Satan does the same thing. That's how Satan's been, been deceiving the world all along. Because, he listen, you've got to get this out of your head that if you're going to look for the devil, don't look for someone in a red jumpsuit with horns and a pointy tail walking around with a pitchfork. Because the devil's not going to come at you that way. Amen. No, he's going to appear to you as an angel of light. He's going to look attractive. He's going to look beautiful. He's going to look beneficial and pleasurable. All to seduce and entice us. In other words, Satan has servants who can profess just even enough truth to get into the church. And then, once into the church, he begins to preach this gospel that, that Paul talks of as uh, doctrines of demons. Jesus calls these false apostles wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 30, it says that these false apostles will not spare the flock but will draw people away to destruction. And if you're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 3, Paul, again, being concerned that these false teachings affected God's people because, listen, there's nothing that could be more deceitful than Satan himself because the fact that he can disguise himself as an angel of light. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, in the New Living Translation, Paul says, But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, watch this, Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the Spirit. Now, to me, this verse is an eye-opener. Because if Eve, God's perfect creature, can be deceived by the cunning works of the serpent, how much more can we, being imperfect creatures, be deceived by the cunning ways of the devil? Are you hearing what I'm saying? The day that you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, the day that we became born again, was a wonderful time and a great experience because it changed everything in life. It even changed our eternal address from a place called hell to a place called heaven. It was a day that we passed from death to life. It was a day that we were translated from darkness unto light. It was a day that we found new life, new meaning, and new purpose. However, it was also a day where spiritual war began. Because our conversion caused our hearts and minds to become a battlefield. Because the devil wants our minds and he wants our hearts. And even though That day when we came to know the Lord Jesus, we also came to learn that he loved us. But we also come to find out that there's a devil that hates us just as much. And so we're in a war and we've gained an enemy since becoming born again believers. And here's the thing, he remains an enemy until the day we leave this earth or until Jesus comes And you're going to find out that he is a constant enemy who will not let up, will continue to mess with you, bother you, and try to ruin your life the way he ruined Eve's life. So we have an enemy. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, because the Bible makes it very clear who is our enemy. In 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 8, it says, be sober and vigilant. Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now the word adversary literally means an opponent or an arch enemy. Now an opponent is someone who opposes you against something. It's someone who disapproves of anything that you like anything that you do and it will do anything to prevent you from receiving it or reaching your purpose. An opponent is someone who's going to Actively resists you. An opponent is going to be hostile towards you. An opponent is going to stand up against you and even put up a fight against you. Because he does not want you to fulfill your purpose. And Satan and all of his forces are bent to seeking to devour you and preventing you from reaching your goal and your purpose. And he's going to do everything he can to try to resist you from reaching where God wants you to go and here's the thing Paul experienced it all of the disciples experienced it all of the men and women of God have experienced it so will you and so will I go to Matthew chapter 13 so Peter calls him an adversary in Matthew 13 beginning verse 37 Jesus (coughs) was explaining the parable of the tears of the field to his disciples (coughs) excuse me And he goes on in verse 37 where he says this. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Verse 39. The enemy, say enemy, enemy. who sold them is who? The devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So Peter describes the enemy as an adversary, an opponent, and also Jesus describes him as an enemy as well. So our enemy, who is constant, is Satan. And he has been on doing everything he can to try to to resist every effort that we make or, or, or set out to do, in order to fulfill God's purpose and accomplish whatever God wants us to accomplish. How many of you know that God wants to do something in your life? How many of you know that God wants to accomplish some things through your life? Well, the devil also knows that as well. He wants to do everything he can to prevent you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish and becoming what God wants you to become. That's just the way he is. That's how he rolls. So, Satan is not only our enemy, but he is real. How many believe that Satan is real? Okay, he's not some figment of somebody's imagination. Okay, he's not some symbol of evil. He's not uh, just uh, just a fig uh, uh, a figure of speech. He is real. He is just as real as David, as Moses, as Abraham, as Paul, Peter, Mary, even Jesus Himself. He's just as real as you and I. So we need to live life believing that Jesus and I mean God and the devil are real but not equal. Right, right. Amen. Right. He's real. The Bible all through the Bible makes references of the devil. In the Old Testament there are seven Old Testament books that refer to the devil. 12 of them in the book of Job alone. In the New Testament 19 New Testament books makes reference of the devil. In all New Testament writers make reference of who the devil is. Even Jesus makes reference of the devil 15 times, at least. Now, if he doesn't exist, why would they say so much about it in the Bible? But let's take a look at what Jesus says about the devil. Go to Matthew chapter 4. This is when Jesus was in the wilderness praying and fasting. As he was getting ready to Launch out into the ministry. Matthew four and verse ten says this Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. Who is he talking to? The devil. the devil. So he wasn't just talking to himself, right? He wasn't just making it up or dreaming. He was talking to somebody. He says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So here we see an example of the devil opposing Jesus as he was praying and fasting. Now, why do you suppose the devil tries to interrupt Jesus while he was praying and fasting? Because the devil does not like for you to pray and fast. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. So, Jesus was about to enter into ministry, but before he did, he was praying and fasting, and the devil did not want him to pray and fast. And he did everything he could to try to prevent him from finishing his fast. He did everything to try to distract him, try to entice him, try to give him something that was pleasurable. Because that's what he does. But Jesus knew how to handle him. He says, away with you, Satan. Look at Luke chapter 22. When Jesus appeared to Simon Peter, spoke to him, and was telling Peter how the devil was out to get him. Luke 22 verse 31 says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat. Do you think that Jesus was just making that up and trying to scare Peter? No, I I think Jesus knew what he was talking about because he dealt with him himself. So Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, Satan is out to get you, to sift you as wheat. And you know, Satan is out to get you, to sift you as wheat. How many of you know that? Look over in Luke chapter 10. Another example where Jesus was making reference of Satan. Luke 10 and verse 18 says this. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, Jesus witnessed Satan fall from heaven when he was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion against God. Now go quickly to John chapter 8 and verse 44. Again, we're just looking at some examples of Jesus making references of Satan to indicate that he is real in John chapter 8 Jesus was talking to a group of Pharisees and he had some things to say to them but it was not complimentary verse 44 says you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do he said he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him when he speaks a lie he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Now it's interesting how when the Bible says that he is the father of all lies and there is no truth in him and when he speaks, he speaks lies. But yet, how many times will we know Christians have fallen into temptation or listened to the devil and did things that they know they shouldn't have done because they listened to the devil. Now, that's kind of crazy because If we remember the fact that everything that he says is all a lie, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how good it feels, no matter how great of an opportunity it may seem, it may seem wonderful. But if the voice is coming from Satan, you know that it's not truth. That was what happened to Eve. She was duped, she believed a lie, and because of that her life was ruined. Because she listened to a lie. She listened to something that made her feel pleasurable, making feel like whatever the devil was talking about seemed wonderful and wanting to have it. And that's what he'll do with you. Speaking to you lies that may appear truth and then convincing you that this must be God when the reality is not. The devil is a liar, always has been, always will be, because he's the father of all lies. And whatever, he come, whatever comes out of his mouth is not truth, but lies. So we see a couple of characteristics of the devil. He's a murderer from the beginning, and he's a liar and the father of all lies. Now, one question that some Christians would ask is, if God was so smart, why did he create the devil? Well, the answer is that God did not create the devil. When God created the angels, he created them beautiful and perfect and wonderful. Lucifer being the greatest of all and the most beautiful of all. And he was the most prominent angel in heaven who was in charge over the worship and music. He had the highest position. He was all good until Isaiah 14 in verses 12 to 14 says that, that his heart was lifted up. And all of a sudden in his heart he developed an unholy and unrealistic ambition to be like the most high God. That's what causes downfall. And because of that he led a rebellion against God, with one third of the angels, and of course God's not going to have that, casting Lucifer from heaven and therefore becoming Satan, the accuser or the slanderer, or the adversary. It was then that he became evil. It was then that he became the epitome of what is evil. But God did not create him. Are you hearing me? God did not create him. So, in Revelations chapter 12, go there, another question that is asked is that if God is so strong, why does he just, you know, get rid of the devil? Well, the good news is that God is going to get rid of him at some point, And once he does that, get rid of him, he will get rid of him once and for all times. And once, once, what else is, not only will he get rid of him, but the good news is that the devil's time here on this earth is short. In other words, he's running out of time. Look at Revelation 12, verse 12. It says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Well, this is the best part. Because he knows that he has but a short time. In the Amplified Version, oh, I'll go into that later. Go to chapter 20 of Revelations in verse 10. It says this. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are. And they will be tormented day and night for how long? Forever and ever and and ever and ever and ever and ever for all eternity. So Satan's days are numbered and he will eventually be rid of and we'll never have to worry about him again for all eternity. So one simply cannot believe in the Bible and deny the existence of Satan. He is real. He is very much real, and not only is he real, but he also poses a very serious and present threat. And one of the reasons why I share this message tonight is because we need to be, as Peter says, be vigilant and be sober. We have to take him seriously and not take him for granted. We need to study him as much as he studied us. And we need to make sure that we don't fall into his traps because that's what he's always doing setting traps for us and if we're not aware of that if we're if if we take him lightly if we take it for granted then he's going to trip us up and we're going to fall flat on our faces and and god forbid if we ever kept to a place of spiritual ruin but that's what he wants that's what he's after so make no mistake he's definitely a present threat in Revelations 12-12, in the last part of verse 12, the Amplified says this, describes the devil this way. For the devil has come down to you in a fierce anger and fury, because he knows that he has only but a short time left. So we're talking about a mad dog running wild, furious, angry, because he has just about a short time. And he figures that if he's going to go, He's going to go down taking as many of us with him. So this is no joke. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's take a look at the profile of the devil. Let's look at some things to know about him. Now understand that it's important. that The Bible says that we are not ignorant of his devices. That means we're not, we don't lack knowledge of his intentions. At least we should not lack knowledge of his intentions. That's why the Bible says, for my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. <clears throat> we do not want to be destroyed because of our lack of information. But we want to be filled with information concerning the devil and concerning God's perfect will. But in Second Corinthians chapter 2, here we read a story where Paul was making reference about a man that he had wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. A man that had committed sexual immorality with his stepmother his father's wife. And when Paul got wind of that, he was angry at the leaders because they weren't dealing with the issue. And he recommended that they issue disciplinary actions and excommunicate that person. But something happened between 1 Corinthians chapter 5 to Second Corinthians chapter 2 because now Paul is saying, the man has repented and now it's time for you to forgive him. It's time for you to receive him, accept him and restore him back to fellowship. And he says this, in verse 11, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We do not lack knowledge of his intentions or purposes. It's interesting that Paul said this. He says, you need to forgive him, because if you don't forgive him, then you give the devil an advantage. When you don't forgive somebody, you're opening a door for the devil to come in and begin to plant seeds of discords. Giving you every reason to feel that you shouldn't forgive that individual. Reminding you of the hurt that that person caused you. And giving you every reason to say, you know what, I'm not forgiving that person. You know, when you think like that, you're simply giving the devil an advantage. And saints, the Bible says, give no place to the devil. I said, give no place for the devil. So, we are not to be ignorant. We are not to lack knowledge of his devices or of his intentions. Because, listen, he wants to do you harm. He wants to mess you up. He wants to ruin you. And he's going to do it by enticing you, by seducing you, and by deceiving you. He can't do anything more than that. But it's because he's so good at it. And I'm not trying to give him credit, but how many of us know great men and women of God who have fallen because they've given into the temptations of the devil? And one of my greatest fear is that, I always say this, if it can happen to them, it can just as easily happen to me. But we need to learn to forgive, otherwise we're opening the door for the devil to come in and begin to start planting seeds of resentment. You remember when when these group of men brought the woman who was caught in the midst of adultery, brought him to Jesus, testing Jesus and, and challenging him and saying, what does the law say? Now they all knew that the law stated that if someone was caught in adultery, they would be stoned to death. And so Jesus responds by saying, well, he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And every one of them had a stone in their hands, dropped the stone and walked away. But it's what Jesus said to the woman. In uh, John chapter 8 and verse 11, 10 and 11, he says this. Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And the woman says, no one, Lord. And I love what Jesus says. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, when we do that with others, we shut the door tight and prevent the devil from coming in because we made a decision to forgive that individual. And the Bible says, forgive and it shall be forgiven you. But if you don't forgive, your sins will not be forgiven. It's that simple. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Something else about the devil, he is not a physical being, he is a spiritual being. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. So I, you know, I don't, just out of curiosity, when you think about the devil, what image comes to your mind? Does, does a, a, a red guy with, with a goatee and horns pop up in your head? What exactly, what image forms in your head? Okay, you don't want to share, that's all right. I'll talk to you later. But if Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. There was a spiritual being. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 11, says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, which is physical body, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, of wickedness in the heavenly places. So as an angel, he is pure spirit and invisible. He was not made up of the dust of the earth like you and I. He does not possess a physical being just like you and I, or flesh and blood like you and I. He is a spirit being. And although he may be present, that does not mean that you're going to see him walk by you as you walk out of church. Now, so I don't want to hear you say that I'm going home with the devil because no, your spouse is not the devil. Your children are not the devil. He is not flesh and blood. He is a spirit being. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 6, if you're still there. Well, you're probably still there, okay. He is also not of this world. <clears throat> In verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but... Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, where? In the heavenly places. The Amplified Version says this the heavenly supernatural sphere. He is not of this world. He operates and functions in this world, but he's not of this world. And it's interesting, too, because the devil and his demons have certain strongholds in certain towns and cities. And, and, and also in, in, personal, uh, in personal lives. Uh, there are certain sections that you would not walk in providence. Because of the violence and, and, and all the crime that goes on there. But behind it, there's a spiritual force that's bringing about that evil and darkness in that area. There are certain areas in New Bedford that you would not want to walk in, in, in dark, in nighttime. Because, again, because of the darkness. The rulers... That 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 controls that area that that becomes a stronghold of the devil. So his base of operation is here, but they are from the heavenly realms. Another thing to understand about the devil and again, this is why we need to take him serious. But the devil has a contract out on every one of us. You know, if you ever watch a movie about you know, these hitmen, you know, and you know they've got a, uh, given a certain amount of money to take someone out. And so they go through the process of studying that person, finding out where they go and how often they go and where time they're at home and stuff like that. And then once they get an understanding of where they are, then they set up shop, take out their weapon and fire away. Well, the devil, the Bible says, he seeks whom he may devour. So he's got to hit a contract out on every one of us. Look at First Peter 5a, which we read earlier. I'm going to read this to you from the Amplified Version. Be well-balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant, cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion, roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, it's interesting how Peter described Satan like a lion. And you ever watch those animal kingdom shows, and you see the lion attacking the zebra or the antelope or whatever? Uh, it's pretty gory stuff what they what that lion does. And and I picture the devil doing the same thing to us spiritually speaking. This is what he does: he watches and waits. And because he watches films of every one of us, he knows our tendencies. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our vulnerabilities. He knows what we respond to. He knows what our likes are. And so he's going to use that to manipulate and take advantage of it. Go to John 10.10, another familiar passage of scripture. John 10.10, where Jesus says that the thief, meaning the devil, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Another way to summarize this chapter is that Satan wants to steal your money, he wants to kill your life and destiny, and he wants to destroy your family. And not to give the devil any credit, but he has done a very effective job in all those three areas in this world. Never have I seen, you know, the, it is said that our country is the richest, one of the richest countries in the world. Yet we have such a high rate of of homelessness and poverty. And how can that be? And also, you know, our our young children today, I mean, I've never seen so many broken homes. I've never seen so many homes that are dysfunctional, broken, having no structure, and children being raised up in, in, in that atmosphere, in that environment. Homes that have no fathers. And you have children being raised up by themselves. And you have so many children that are being displaced. And some of our young children today are angry or dealing with emotional problems. Because the devil has done a number on our family structure. And what's unfortunate is he's also doing the same in the Christian world. In the Christian family breaking up the marriages, bringing, uh, having no structure in the home, and causing all kinds of dysfunction. It's, you know, it, it's sad. And our children become the victim because they grow up having no future, no hope, having no destiny. And all because the devil have ruined and, and, and destroyed that. And he wants to do the same in our homes, in our families. And I'm sorry, but the devil cannot have my family. He will not have my family. Go to Luke chapter 22. I've talked this, I, I shared this early, but again, showing you how the devil has a contract out on us. The devil had a contract out on Peter. And... Jesus was simply reminding him and warning him, Listen, Peter, watch yourself. The devil's out to get you. But I love what, what Jesus says, But I'm praying for you, my brother. I'm praying so that your faith may not fail. Now go to Matthew chapter 14. Do you know that there are some things that the devil wants for your life? Do you believe that? The devil has some things that he wants for your life. One of those things that he wants for your life is that he wants you to doubt God. Go with me to Matthew chapter 14. Are you there? Okay. Here we read a story where Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of a storm. The disciples were in the boat. They saw Jesus. They got scared because they thought it was a ghost. Jesus cried out to them, reassuring them that it wasn't a ghost, but it was him. Peter, who was not quite convinced, said, Jesus, that's you who bid me to come. Jesus says, come. So, Jesus, so Peter literally stepped out of the boat in the middle of a storm and actually walked on water. He was one of the only person besides Jesus to ever walk on water. And he began to walk on water until he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm or the circumstances. And when he looked at the circumstances, doubt set in. And when doubt set in, fear came in. And when fear came in, he began to sink and drown. Until Jesus reached out and pulled him out. And in verse 31, Jesus says this. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Doubting. Doubting will prevent you from operating in the supernatural what Peter was doing was not natural what he was doing was supernatural and what doubt will also do is prevent you from accomplishing what God has called you to accomplish Jesus told Peter walk come and Jesus and Peter almost almost got there until he allowed doubt to set in so two things happen he could not continue to walk in the supernatural and he could not accomplish what Jesus told him to do. Jesus not, would not have told him to come out, out of that boat to walk on the water if he didn't know he could do it. But when you doubt, you cannot operate in the supernatural and you cannot finish or accomplish what God's called you to accomplish. Are you hearing me? Look at James chapter 1 give you another example doubting god causes us to live unstable spiritually unstable james chapter 1 listen to what he says in beginning of verse 6 but let him ask in faith without doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea and driven and tossed by the wind for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the lord He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now look at the, uh, the Amplified Version in that last verse. It says, For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, and irresolute, he is unstable, unreliable, uncertain about everything, everything that he thinks, feels, or decides. So a man who doubts is someone who is spiritually unstable. He's not sure of himself anymore and he's not sure about the things of God. And don't the devil want you to doubt God's word? <clears throat> Doesn't the devil want you to doubt what his promises are? <clears throat> if God says come and do it, that's because he knows you can do it. But the moment you take your eyes of God and you allow doubt to come in, then you cannot operate in the supernatural. And man, God is waiting for us to function in that sphere, in that, that supernatural experience. God wants us to have that supernatural experience, but because of doubt, it's hindered us from fulfilling the experience all of God. Oh my goodness! I wish I had more time to get into this. You know, it, the Scripture says in in, um, uh, in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus says, "Have the kind of faith," and then He says in verse twenty three. If you, believe, if you say to this mountain, be cast into, be cast into the sea, and he says, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass. He said, you shall have whatever you say. But the condition is if you do not doubt. If you doubt, well, let me put it like this. The Bible says all things are possible to those who believe. But if you doubt, nothing is possible. Think about that. No matter what you face in life, even if it seems impossible, the Bible says, if you believe, all things are possible. Or he says, all things are possible to those who believe. But all things are not possible if you doubt. So think about whatever situation you're going through right now. And know that God does not want you to doubt, but believe that all things are possible in whatever situation you might be going through, whatever struggles you might be facing. All things are possible if you do not allow doubt to set into your heart. Are you hearing me? Something else that's important. Go to Proverbs chapter 4. Another thing that the devil does not want, well, there are some things that he wants from us like doubting God, but another thing that he wants is for us to Make room for other things in our hearts so that God will not be alone. Did you hear what I said? He wants us to make room in our hearts for other things so that God won't be the only one in our hearts. That's why in Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of the spring of out of it spring the issues of life. Now, the word keep. In the Hebrew, literally means to guard, to protect, or to watch over, or to maintain. One of the messages that my wife and I always teach our kids, since they were kids, we always say this, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart from bad relationships. Guard your heart from what you watch on television. Guard your heart from what you hear on the radio. Guard your heart from what you hear around the world, around the neighborhood. Guard your heart. Because you and I have a responsibility of what we allow to come into our hearts. We have a responsibility to guard or to maintain our hearts. And one of the things that the devil wants to do is he wants to crowd our hearts with other things. So he's going to dangle some things that are pleasurable. People, things that are desirable, opportunities, anything that will crowd Listen, if he can't the devil wants your heart but if he can't have all of your heart at least he'll have half of it and if he can put some things into your heart besides God then he knows that your heart is not totally devoted to Christ to God alone and how many of you know that God wants all of our hearts he wants all of our affections he wants all of our attention but it's very hard to do that when your affections are being spread out on other things. It's very hard to devote totally to God when your devotion is being spread out with other things. And the devil will gladly place things in front of you and dangle things in front of you to entice you, to seduce you, and to open up your heart to things that should not be there. He wants your heart. Amen. That's right, he cannot have it. Understand that Satan knows that he has an entry point in your heart or in your life if he knows that God is not the only love in your heart. If he knows that God is not first in your heart, then right there he's got an open, an open door. He's got a place for him to enter in. So it's important that we make God first in our hearts because if he sees an open, he's going to come in and bring other things in as well. God wants our entire attention and affection. Ephesians 4.27 says, Give no place to the devil. So Satan's greatest desire is to prevent you from giving God all of your heart. So he will constantly dangle persons, things, and desires in front of you. Anything that distracts you and open up your heart to other things. And And most important of all, what he wants to do is set up a shop in your heart. Set up an altar so that God will not be the only person you're worshiping. But there will be other things. So guard your heart by keeping Christ on the throne in your life. Oh my goodness, I'm running out of time here. God, the devil also wants us to rob the word from us. How many of you know how precious God's Word is? In Hosea 4, verse 6, the Bible says, For my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Don't you know that the devil knows that? He knows that if we lack knowledge, it's going to destroy us. So the devil will do anything he can to prevent the Word from coming forth. He also knows that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So don't you know he wants to do everything he can to prevent you from receiving the word. If he can get you to read the word just once in a week, I think he'll be satisfied. But what he does not want is for you to spend hours and time and days in the word. Because he knows that the word, here's here's what he knows about the word. The Bible says that the word is the sword of his spirit. in Ephesians chapter 6. He sees the word as a weapon that can fight against him. He knows that because when he tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, what did Jesus do? He took out his sword and began to cut up the devil with the word of God. The Bible also says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, I believe, says that, that the word of God is, is sharp and, and, and quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when the devil sees the word, he sees it as something sharp, something that can hurt him. And so what he wants to do is prevent you from spending time in the Word. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. Jesus was explaining to the disciples the, the parable of the sower sowing the seed. <clears throat> and he says this in verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the Word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, again, he knows what the word of God can do. He knows, he knows the story of when Paul was preaching the gospel in the book of Acts, especially in the city of Ephesus, and the Bible says that the word of God prevailed in that city. So he knows how powerful the word of God is. He also knows that the word of God can clean a person and keep a person clean. Keep a person's heart and mind pure. Go to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm 119 in verse 9 says this How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. So if you want to keep your life pure, if you want to keep your life clean, if you want to keep your minds pure and clean, stay in the word. We see the devil understands that. But if he can keep you from the word, then there's a good chance he can keep you impure and unclean. <clears throat> Look it down to verse 11 of that same chapter. He says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you, One of the wonderful things about God's word, when we stay in God's word on a consistent basis, we fill up our spirit man with the word, we build our faith up, we we become strong in our spirit, and most important of all, our hearts and mind will be uh, uh, transformed and uh, and, and everything that we think of would, would be a godly thing. Our hearts will be pure, our minds will be pure, and we would walk in the fear of God because whenever we're tempted to sin, we will not do that because the word of God inside of us is convicting us, telling us, no, that's not the way to go. But when a person spends less time in the word, then he becomes weak. His faith becomes weak. His spirit man becomes malnourished. And then when a person gets tempted, it's very easy for them to fall. Because now they don't have the word of God building inside of them. The word Satan wants to rob the word from you. If he can't keep you from the word of God, he's going to try to steal it from you. Oh, I gotta I gotta I gotta wrap this up. <clears throat> I'm just giving you a profile of the devil. <clears throat> just to give you an idea. Of who he is, what it's about, what he desires from us, and what he's capable of. But here's the best news of all. He's already defeated. That's a done deal. You know, I I shared this analogy a while back. You know... I think it's okay to say this, but wrestling is, is, is not real. Professional wrestling. Okay. I just want to put that out there. If, if, <laughs> Sorry, Steve, we do have counseling. <laughs> but professional wrestling is staged. I hate to tell you that. Because before the wrestlers ever go out, they've already predetermined the winner. So when both wrestlers come into the ring to fight, they're not fighting for the purpose of winning. They're fighting for the purpose of entertaining the crowd. Their whole purpose is to give them a good show. Because the winner has already been determined. So the winner is not going in there to fight for victory. He's coming in to fight from victory. Are you hearing me? See, he goes into the ring already knowing that he has the victory. So he... he, he, there's a confidence in him knowing that he's got this so when we live our lives every day and no matter how many times the devil attacks us remind yourself he's lost and we're not fighting for the purpose of winning we're fighting because we've already won our purpose of fighting is to show off to the world that the greater one in us is far greater than he that is in the world Amen. That's all the reason why we're fighting, not to gain victory because we've already won. We just want to show off to the world that there's someone far greater than us. There's far greater than anything that could come against us. (laughs) Glory to God. So the winner of the match does not battle for victory, but from victory. Now, oh my goodness. To walk in victory means that we have victory in everything that Jesus had victory in here on this earth. Think about what Jesus had victory over. Victory over sickness. Victory over sin. Victory over temptation. Victory over the devil. Victory over everything. Whatever victory he had, we also have. Because his victory is our victory. And here's the most important thing of all. Jesus is Lord He's also Lord over the devil. So he has no place on this earth. That's why the devil is furious. Because he knows he has but a little time. He knows he's losing. A, 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 he's finally losing battle. He knows his time is up. But man, I'll tell you. We, we have the victory. And so when someone tells you, what's up? You say, well, I'm walking in victory. I said, well, how you doing? I'm walking in victory. How are things going? I'm walking in victory. And even when it doesn't feel like you're walking in victory, you still have the victory because of what God said and what Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Oh, glory to God. Whew, okay. Oh, I got to stop here. Can you give me another hour? Just joking let's pray father we thank you so much Lord, for your word tonight we thank you father god that we can walk here walk out of here knowing that we have the victory and father we thank you lord god that anytime we're attacked by the devil or any of his angels father god we know that our battle hallelujah has already been won The, the the battle has already been predetermined lord god we thank you for making us winners and not losers so father we thank you and we praise your wonderful name Hallelujah. Thank you for the victory. Thank you, my God. We are winners. We won in every aspect of life. Hallelujah. Nothing can keep us down. Nothing can prevent us from going forward. Nothing, Lord, can keep us from accomplishing your will because we are winners. And, Lord, we thank you for that. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.